Contributing to the death of the mainstream media, I am Dean Ludwig, uh, broadcasting from my bunker in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And with me, as always, is... I'm Scott Dunlop, and I'm reporting from Abandoned Missile Silo in Lukenbach, Texas. How are you folks doing today? And we have a special guest today from the Army. I'm Daryl Jagger. Hey, Daryl. How you doing, Daryl? <laughs> doing fantastic, gentlemen. How about yourself? Great. Excellent. Good, good, Thank good. you for uh, joining us today. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. But before we get to that, let's do our favorite segment, Wheel of Genders. I think I got it fixed this time. I'm not sure, but well, go ahead. See, see what you got. Uh, I am a female Excalibur replica sword. All right, and today I am a pink fire truck. It is getting better. I think it's we a little better. It it's, it's, yeah. a little, it's not quite as tilted. Yeah. How How about you, Daryl? Oh man, today I think I'm gonna be a uh, a forest elf. Forest elf. Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. Excellent. So not quite a f- uh, furry, but almost there. Wow. Almost Just there. floating around somewhere <laughs> in that realm of uh, mushrooms and yeah, yeah. psychedelics. <laughs> All right, well, we'll start off with a little tech news today. Hello, IT. Have you tried turning it off and on again? So we love talking about the Zuckster. So Facebook fines ah. $70 million for deliberate failure to comply with UK regulator. And this comes from London, CNN Business. (laughs) The Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA. The what? The CMA. That was the Country Music Awards. Yeah, well, it's the Competition and Markets Authority, which is, I guess, their authoritarian thing on business. Because we don't have enough authoritarianism as it is. Yeah. Well, they said in a statement Wednesday that Facebook had consciously refused to report all required information during an investigation of the tech giant's acquisition of online database Gliffy. What, they forgot to disclose something? What? That Facebook? never happens. Not the Zuck. <laughs> yeah, $70 million. Yeah, well, that was probably 30 minutes of online time for them. Uh, it's not even. That's pocket change. $70 million. Yeah, Yeah. They're, they're really softballing. It sounds like somebody got paid off. That $70 million is probably paying somebody off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Facebook was required to provide the regulator with regular updates about its compliance. The tech giant significantly limited the scope of those updates. Despite repeated warnings, the regulator said it had concluded that Facebook's failure to comply was deliberate. Oh, no. No. Yeah, I can't imagine them. They did it something. on purpose? <laughs> I mean... Okay, so... Or they just don't care. But what about their fact checkers? Yeah. <laughs> their sensors, you mean? Yeah. Oh, well, the, <laughs> the, 
the thing about Facebook is they've become such a big company and these corporations, and you're seeing it a lot really during this mandate thing, is they're like, well, you'll do it or you go somewhere else. And then everybody goes somewhere else and they're like, oh, well, no, we were just kidding about yeah. that. Yep, yep. That's how it works. Take Southwest. Yeah. Uh, police. Uh, oh, man. Police are, well, did you hear in Maine, uh, they're struggling now because their EMS workers are all uh, walking off the job. There are some areas in Maine where they have less than 50% of their EMS workers. Kind of makes you wonder when healthcare professionals uh, tend not to want to do this, but I don't know. Well, you know, Joe Brandon, I mean, uh, Joe Biden, (laughs) uh, he, uh, I like that better, Joe Brandon. Joe Brandon. Yeah, President Joe Brandon came out and said he doesn't care if EMS workers walk off the job and first responders. Awesome. Well, that's not much about Facebook. Well, I'm sure yeah, we'll get into well. much more of that. But the point that I was getting to is these corporations think they're indestructible. Yeah, well, they, they honestly do. Because everything now is too big to fail. Well, I think uh, Facebook doesn't remember, I don't know, Prodigy and <laughs> AOL, AOL and uh, uh, MySpace. God, I barely remember Prodigy. Yeah, well, I'm old. That's <laughs> why. Yeah, we can go with that. Yeah, we got a whippersnapper here. Probably doesn't even know what that is. What AOL? Prodigy. Stuff Prodigy. Like Prodigy. Prodigy. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> before my time. Yeah, that was before uh, any relevant WWW. Uh, the internet was there, but there was no yeah. the World Wide Web, so it was a little bit different. Uh, you got anything for uh, today? Well, uh, yeah, I'm gonna talk about some apps today. Because everything is going to apps. Um, I got one here called Cerebral. What is her? Uh, Biles, the gymnast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sylvia? Her first name. Um, I can't think of her first name. But anyway. The one that got the twisties there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Simone. Simone. Simone, Simone, that's it. Uh, She's promoting this. I'm guessing some app developer went to her and said, hey, we'll put your face on here and, you know, we'll make a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, this is all about mental health. And of course, you know, she is str- uh, a strong advocate for mental health and stuff after, you know, the sexual abuse and stuff that happened with all the gymnasts. This app, though, I'm going to I'm going to read you the steps on how it works. Number now, one. Hold on. Before we do this. Yes. Remember, this was very successful for Michael Phelps, too. Well, you know, because he's a little he smoked some weed and that made did. him crazy. Well, yeah, that's a performance enhancing drug, that that weed smoking. Yeah, I didn't perform very well any time I ever smoked. Oh, I've never done that, kids. Don't do drugs, kids. Weed bad. Just say no. Say no. All right. So to use this app, all you do is really simple. Fill out a short online form. Hop on a video call with your prescriber. Get some pills. Yeah. Uh, your prescriber will help determine your treatment plan. Number three, meet your care counselor. It says your care counselor supports you along your journey. Say hello on a video phone call. And then after those three steps, every month you get your medication mailed to you. Sweet. So it's just a big candy factory. Pretty much. You know, it's just, it's just in a highly over-medicated society as we already are. You know, we're just making it easier for people to get more medicated. Well, 
you know, I got problems, man, and none of them really have to do with me, so there's a pill for every ill. Yeah. I should just take a pill and make it all go away. There I shouldn't do any, I don't know, personal growth. What? And It's not about problems. me. It's not about me. Well, it's about the world. The world yes. is so horrible. I can't, I just don't understand. And we live in, we live in the best society that there has ever been. Yeah, there's problems out there, but things are so easy. Nothing's hard. Well, look at, you know, the supply chain issues and how much people are just consumed by it because they can't get, you know, their whatever that they ordered and get it same day. When I was a kid, when you ordered record from KTEL, <laughs> you, had, you had to wait four to six weeks. Yep. And that's not including you mailing the check to KTEL yes. to get that. Yes. I mean, you could call, but that was a long distance call and that was not allowed. No, you can't do a long distance call because those were expensive. So if I can't get my stuff in two days from Amazon, the whole world's going to get destroyed? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, everything's going to just fall apart. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll have some supply chain updates in, oh, yeah. in the news. Uh, yeah, we segment. will. But uh, yeah, and then you have a monthly chat with your care counselor mm -hmm. and a check-in with your prescriber. So your care counselor and the person that is prescribing the medication are two different people. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it, it's mail order drugs. Yeah. Really, it's all it is. And, and what's to say, like, there's no sort of, um, like, age restriction on this. Like, you could be somebody that's, like, not actually 18. You don't have your own, you know, your parents yeah. set you up with this. You can just hop on there, get your pills, good to go. I mean, it's ridiculous. Get you some legal meth. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I know, I know for myself, at least, like, with my generation growing up in, like, high school and whatnot, uh, drugs and pills being used for things like depression, anxiety, all these other things that are normal as a teenager, normal mm. things to go through, right. and things that should ideally be worked through as a part of your personal development and growth as a person has just been medicated and they look for the easy way out, something that'll fix it now, and I, yep. so I have to put in as little effort as possible, and then it ends up jacking them up for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm gonna stop you right there. You're just making way too much sense, and <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that around here. Right. That makes way too much yeah. sense. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle this. Yeah. But then again, watch, watch any, uh, especially the news programs. My um, God, a millennial making sense. This is crazy, oh, man. I'm sorry, I'm, just, I'm not allowed to do that. That's no, right. No, <laughs> you will be taken out back and flogged later. Oh, understood. It's just you, I you might enjoy it. Side. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, so we're Gen Xers, and we're kind of the you know rub some dirt in it and and move on. And uh, <laughs> yeah. and we're just not used to millennials saying that. That's uh that's I'm shocked and and surprised and a little bit proud. Yeah. Well, there's there's some of us that were raised right still. <laughs> Well, your dad, Ken, he, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. something. Um, yeah, he, he, he really is. Oh, but that's all I got on that one. What do you got? All right, feds reportedly take down top ransomware hacker group are evil with a hack of their own. So you're saying that the feds have hackers on stuff? Yeah, that's where the hackers come from. Well, well, let's just say the, the, the hackers that they have are contractors. And they're contractors because they can't pay, 
pass a piss test. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I will say back when I was in the army, uh, I worked in a military intelligence unit and I did uh, their IT stuff. Was that, did that involve horses and, and mailbags? No, we had, you know, air mail. Air mail. How'd you know? Um, anyway, have you seen the movie 1917? <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, we actually had the NSA come in and teach us how to hack because they had the best hackers in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, just so we could defend against it. So interesting, but, yeah. interesting note on that too. Um, so I worked uh, up there for a little bit uh, over by the big black box, uh-huh. big black building, the NSA. Oh, Black Beauty. You yeah. Know, um, and uh, something that I noticed around there is that they've got uh, all kinds of high school age employees mm-hmm. that will go into work. Contractors. Contractors, yep. right. And so what it for most likely i mean obviously i don't know for sure but my guess would be that you know the feds will go and pick up these hackers that end up being kids things like that and essentially offer them this deal hey instead of going to federal prison, prison yeah. when you turn 18 <laughs> for the rest of your life you can come work for us yep and do that which i mean you know yeah see so, so, you know look at it how you will but i mean i think it's kind of neat but makes sense. And if if you followed the Snowden story, you know, he was a contractor and you're not, you know, look, the best way to do this is go find the best people, the people who do it. And the best hackers generally aren't that ethical. No, 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 not at all. So the government has successfully hacked the hacking group are evil. And we know about them because they, they did a lot of stuff yeah. here in 2020. The entity behind the ransomware has been linked, leaked. Linked, linked to leaked Apple leaks. <laughs> wow. That's right, that. easy for you to say. Attacks yeah. on enterprise software vendors and more. The outlet source tells it that the FBI Secret Service Cyber Command, Cyber Command, are you kidding me? <laughs> Cybercom, let's go. And organizations yeah. from other companies work together to take the group's operation offline this month. The group's dark web blog, <laughs> which uh, exposed information gleaning from its targets, also reportedly offline. So they've taken those guys down, but a lot of the ransomware that they were using was ransomware as a service. Basically, what you would do is you would contract our evil, and you would say, "Hey, we want to, we want you to launch this attack over here." And we cut you in on a percentage of the profits, or you cut us in on a percentage mm-hmm. of the profits. How, however, the deal worked. They would uh, they would do the attack, run the attack, run the command and co- command and control servers, provide help desk support to victims to uh-huh. decrypt their information, and they had a pretty pro thing going on there for a while. But then they had all their money taken. Uh, from the Colonial Pipeline. Mm-hmm. They've been hot on them since the Colonial Pipeline. Yeah, It just amazes me that these so-called infrastructures don't have better security. Something that viable and valuable, and they're not willing to hire the right people to get the job done. Well, of course not. IT is always a cost center. Yeah. You know, and, and it's the last... Thing that a company will pay for 
you know, and it doesn't ma- it doesn't matter the type of company. You know, I've seen it in healthcare, I've seen it in government, I've seen it in financial services, um, telecom, e- you know, even tech companies don't want to pay for good uh, tech services. Mm-hmm. Yeah, security's a, I don't know, I think it's going to be more important than infrastructure at some point. Yeah. Because uh, security professionals are earning a lot of money right now, and infrastructure people are not. Right. Because there's a ton of infrastructure people, but not a whole lot of security people. I think that they said that there was 57 million person shortage in the security sector. Wow. I didn't realize it was that big. Yeah. Well, I mean, and to be a good security person, good security analyst um, in the IT realm, it takes a special kind of person with a special, well, as Liam Neeson puts it, a special skill set. Um, Careful. Yeah. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, and it really does. It, there's not a lot of people that can do it well. Mm-hmm. Because you have to have, a, you have to be really intuitive and have a very specific analytical way of thinking. To, to do the job well. Well, I do the security at my company, and it's a it's a medium-sized enterprise. We're on NASDAQ and all that other mm-hmm. stuff, so we're publicly held. And I designed the entire security infrastructure and implemented it mm-hmm. and watch it. <laughs> so um, I've got a little bit of experience in this. Uh, as a matter of fact, we haven't had malware or viruses at all over all of our endpoints, our thousands of endpoints, mm-hmm. for almost five years. Wow. So we haven't even been close to having an incident. We had, we've had our, uh, you know, false positives, but mm-hmm. we haven't had an incident. And we get attacked daily. I think last week we had four DDoS attacks. And because we have yeah. DDoS mitigation, it, yeah. just, it just reroutes. But, you know, uh, VPN got a little wonky and stuff like that. So I say all that to say this. You have to think like a crook yeah. to do this job. You have to think, how can I break in here? I spent many a nights laying in bed just thinking about how I could break in to mm-hmm. my institution mm-hmm. and looking for the holes. Right. And then... I would go and either purchase the products or hire the people who were experts in that particular discipline to come in and fix that. Um, And people don't realize about security is you're never safe ever. You're never unhackable. Right. But you can get away from being the low hanging fruit. So if you're not the low hanging fruit, they move on. If it's too difficult, they're going to move on. Yes. Because there are better targets out there. Like, right. Target. Apple. <laughs> it just still kills me. 2013, Target got hacked through through the uh, HVAC system. And, <laughs> and their logo is a big target. It's just so fortuitous. Oh, we've, we've had how many hack reports uh, so far since we've been doing this? This is episode 10. 10? Pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> episode 10. Um, but we've done several hack reports of companies that really should not have been able to be hacked or, you know, should not have been low hanging fruit, a domain service, you know, oh, that's, yeah. they should network solutions. Yeah. First registrar. Yeah. For, for any TLD mm-hmm. top level domain, the first registrar and they were hacked and yeah. their DNS was hacked. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, these are these are places that should have the tightest securities. Well, like many other corporations that we talk about, they've gotten away from their primary business. Yeah. And so they're more interested in making people feel good than putting out their product now. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> do what you do. Yeah. Do your deal, man. If that's what you do, go do it. If you're in the army, go kill people. Don't worry about making people feel good. Right. Well, what I find interesting, too, uh, with the whole uh, with hacking becoming more and more of an issue um, a lot of it is because with at least with uh, my, my generation and the current today's youth with the amount of uh, online gaming and video games that's going on, it's almost encouraged to start learning how to hack and cheat. And I think a lot of this stuff uh, starts off that way is they start off as, you know, being kids growing up playing playing video games, online games, trying to, you know, dabbling in hacking and mm. coding and software and all these things. And then that ends up developing into this higher level stuff where you're going after companies, you're going after money, things right. like that. Gaining the system. I mean, we we were doing that way back when, before, yeah. before some of that was illegal. <laughs> <laughs> right. What do you got next, Dean? Well, let's go to another app. This one's called Stop It. Stop It. And the, the cool... They Stop ma- they it. Made it. They made it really cool because instead of the I in it, they use an exclamation point. So uh, it's really cool. Marketing very, very people. Really cool. The marketing people. Were yeah, it's being that. marketed to middle schoolers, actually. Oh, okay. Which makes sense. Um, but, you know, I, I hate it when people make references to current people um, and refer to them as, as Hitler-like or, you know, Nazi-like or whatever. Or, I mean, you know, people I've seen where people have actually been called, he is the current actual Hitler, you know, things like that. I, I, and I think that degrades from the atrocities that really happened during that time. Yeah. Um, but... Saying that, um, what does this thing do? It's creating new Hitler Youth brown shirts. Uh oh. Yeah, it's a reporting app being marketed to middle schoolers to report. It started off being cyberbullying. Snitches get stitches. There you go. And uh, it started off as cyberbullying. Mm-hmm. Then it went on to uh, try to combat mental health problems that middle schoolers have and you know depression and anxiety and um yeah it's going into a coma and it's allowing for anonymous reporting says uh uh well let's see Oh, this, could, this couldn't be misused in any way. No, not no, at all. <laughs> no. Well, to it, dox somebody? It, it gets even better. Um so from cyberbullying and then reporting mental health issues so that they can get help, which is odd because it's an anonymous reporting app. I'm not sure how you get help if, if, you're anonymous if you report yourself anonymously. Right. How they know who you are. Not really sure how that works, yeah. but. Uh, I could tell you how that works. Uh, your <laughs> well, GPS location, yes. uh, you've got to sign into it by username and password or anybody. You got to do something. It. Something's got to be there. Well, uh, now it's encouraging middle schoolers to report cyberbullying, harassment, discrimination, ethics violations like plagiarism or cheating, weapons violations 
like you know, like bringing weapons to school, drugs, drug use. Um, how soon will it be before they're reporting issues with their parents? So being a kid, basically. Right. Pretty much. All yeah. right. So look, I just want to talk about this weapons thing. Okay. So in seventh grade, mm-hmm. I took my rifle to school to refinish the stock. Cool. I built a crossbow in shop. Uh huh. And when I was young, we would ride around on our bicycles with a twenty-two on the handlebars. Yeah. To go hunt rabbits. Yes. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> no joke, man. No, no joke, joke, man. I mean, what are they going to nerf all these kids? They got. Okay, I've heard this so many times. I'm a rule follower. It's uh-huh. like that's the most disgusting little. When I was in when Pussy I was in thing school, that I have ever heard in my life, and all these people are walking around going, "I am rule follow." I'm a rule follower. When I when I was in school, I think probably at least forty percent of the guys in school had a butterfly knife. Yeah, that we have out and flipping it around with more than a six inch blade. Yeah. Um, and we got it taken away from us. We didn't go. No. The police yeah. were called on us, yeah. and then we got expelled. Yeah. The principal took it away from us and probably took it home and played with it. Or took it away and gave it back at the end of the day and said, don't bring it back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's... Okay. <laughs> On top of that, it gets worse. Um, it's going to be reported to the school. The app is is assigned to the school itself. But it's licensed. I thought it was anonymous. The, well, the app is licensed to the school... And then the school gives access to its students. Mm. So the reporting goes to the school so that the school can handle it and not report anything to the police. Or the parents. Or the parents. Yes, absolutely. What? Like You're cutting the parents out of the whole like thing? The, like the story about uh, Loudoun County and the, you know, the, the girl, my God, the girl who was uh, sexually assaulted uh, actually, the first one oh, was did, an actual rape. Didn't happen because by the a principal said it didn't happen. Exactly, <laughs> by by a gender fluid boy wearing a skirt who went in the girls' bathroom and raped another girl in high school. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. they moved that boy, gender fluid, whatever you call a gender fluid person, boy. A boy uh, who wears a skirt. Yeah, a boy who wears a skirt. He's confused. They moved him to it. He's very confused. No, I don't think he is confused. I think he's got it figured out. I think he's got it figured out. He's got it figured out. Because they moved him to another school and he did the same thing there. Yeah. Wow, really? And neither school reported it to the police. Mm. Or no, one of them did. One did, one didn't. Neither of them alerted parents. Because it goes against the woke agenda. Do you know who got arrested? The man. The father (laughs) of the girl who got raped went to the school board and started raising hell. Uh, I'm sorry. As you, you rape, should. You rape my little girl, and You're I'm going to do, do more than raise hell. Right. Yeah. And in there, they had to put out, these schools have to put out a quarterly report on any type of attacks or sexual assaults or any assaults, and these are not listed in those reports. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. So, uh, and, and the FBI is going to do a task force for terrorism because of yes. this incident. Yes. The, the, was the poster. The media used the arrest from that video of that father who was uh, calling out the school board. The media used that arrest as the uh, poster board 
for the violence at <laughs> from the white right, su- right. from the white supremacist families who mm-hmm. who were protesting uh, the CRT and everything else. They used that arrest uh, of that father as their propaganda against the parents who were protesting against the curriculum. Right. And well, and the, the, and that, you know, that being said, what I've been seeing a lot in the reporting of uh, the FBI crackdown on these parents is it, what what's actually the funny part is they'll have uh, something behind them. You know, the reporter will have a video playing behind him while he's speaking. And the, the reporter is talking about how these parents are protesting mask mandates and vaccine mandates. And, you know, their kids have to wear masks in school. That's not what they're protesting. Oh, I heard a report, too, right wing. And they all automatically labeled them as right wing. They did not know anything about this guy. No, but they course. just said right wing. Of course it is. Yeah, of, of course it is. They're, they're calling these people domestic terrorists. What they're actually protesting or angry about is what's being taught to their kids in schools. Yeah. Between um, SEL, social emotional learning, CRT, critical race theory. Um, oh, the, the best one is the porn, the transgender and gay porn that's being shown to fourth and fifth graders. Right. A heterosexual teacher shows, I'm going to say it, straight normal sex um and you know they'll be run out on the rail yeah because that doesn't support the narrative right so yeah this uh this app is so that kids can now report on this stuff anonymously and i don't know about you but when i was in middle school it was kind of hellish a lot of times because you know different cliques different groups you know you hate people you like people you know so and so is picking on so and so i'm going to report this person i'm going to report this person i'm going to report this person and it's all anonymous you know a lot of this stuff is going to be either highly exaggerated made up bogus you don't know how to weed through and pick what's true and what's not that's i mean how, these are these are 10 sh- 12 year old kids that's how you sort shit out socially right and that's that's where you learn how to deal with other people yep you do that and then also like i mean at least when i was growing up too like you know the most you would have like you'd have your parents you'd have a guidance counselor things like that you would already have things and systems in place to go to for serious issues yes and but now you're giving this super easy go-to thing that kids are going to be able to exploit for either their own gain or Mm -hmm. just because they're now being taught all these things with CRT to look out for Mm -hmm. that are already topics that are really shouldn't be taught to kids of that age anyways. Um, And now they're going to take that and be able to use that um, for, you know, you're going to have kids running around um, reporting other kids of other races, kids of other genders or gender identities, things Mm -hmm. like that, just because they disagree with them or they don't like them. Or you can use this tool to be a bully. Yeah. You know, the old give me your lunch money, give me your lunch money or I'm going to report you as having done something. Oh, yeah. Well, the other thing is, too, is if you had to do exactly what you're saying is you would have to think twice before you went to an authority figure and you would have to make sure that what you were going to say was correct. Right. Which is a good thing. Yeah. You had to, you had to double check yourself first 
before going and making sure that that was something that you wanted to talk about with somebody. And so and nowadays you can just be, you can, you, like you were saying, you could use it as a threat essentially, mm-hmm. because who knows how these kids are going to be treated or handled by the school itself when they find out that they got, or that this student got reported or whatever for this offense, you're going to look at kids that are essentially going to be, uh, shamed or, you know, reprimanded for issues that really weren't even issues to begin with. Going back to the Loudoun County uh, incident, we'll call it incident, uh, rapes, sexual assaults, etc. All right. Well, to go along with what you're saying, I'm going to I'm going to run this real quick. And this is uh, from 1984 KGB uh, defector. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of goes in line with what we're talking about, about the indoctrination in the schools. So I'll play this. We'll pause it and go through. So anytime you guys want want to pause and discuss, let me know. I'm not going to play the whole thing because it just it just kind of gets crazy. But anyway, here we go. Mr. Besmianov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in the elite schools inside the Soviet Union and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. He had an outstanding career with Novosti, which was the, and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. So (laughs) everything was... Well, I don't know. It's, well, it's kind of like China is today. You know, everything is the front for the CCP. Or this, or CBS being the front for the CIA. Yeah. Oh, it's well known that the CIA has operatives in every, uh, or in most Facebook? news organizations. Facebook? Definitely in Facebook. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure um, that Facebook whistleblower, uh-huh. uh, Howden, um, I'm pretty sure. She's a spook? She's a spook. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, continuing on. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. Okay, let's say that he did this in 1970. Yes. So all the plans he's going to talk about were before 1970. Well, they've been playing the long game for a long time. Oh, yeah. It's finally starting to come to fruition. He's one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Disinformation. There's Mm -hmm. that word again. Yes. That's like a synonym to misinformation. Yeah, yeah. So a little projection from our media. Oh, yeah. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, activne meropriyatia in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions can you say gaslighting? <laughs> <laughs> Sensible conclusions. Mostly mostly peaceful protests while the buildings are burning down behind the man right. who's saying it. Right. But then there was the insurrection that 
had no armaments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Abundance of information, but no real reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the interest of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. You're bad. You should be shamed. Yeah. Feel ra- bad for being an American. You're racist. Absolutely. And, well, You're inherently and, racist. And again, uh, we've talked about this before. We have no common enemy anymore. We have no just each other. We have no adversary, so we find those within ourselves. It's a boogeyman. He's yeah. around every corner. And I used, to, I used to say this 10 years ago when, when this whole racism thing started. There was a, a neighbor that we used to have, and she saw racism around every corner. I was like, it's the boogeyman. Yeah. It's a boogeyman. You see it everywhere. It's called gang stalking, mm. um, where everywhere you turn, you see that thing that you think is everywhere. Yeah. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other- what? <laughs> <laughs> so they're doing this in schools? Sound familiar, folks? Uh, has anybody heard of the Frankfurt School? Mm. It's actually started in the 30s. Um, you know, and, and Tell it, me more. Yeah. It started, this stuff started in the 30s, trying to get the indoctrination of the kids. That's also when the Communist Party of the USA started. And right before you know the witch hunts that happened during the McCarthy era. Granted, he's blamed for a lot, and I don't particularly care for some of the methods that were used. Yeah. He actually wasn't in charge of most of that. He wasn't even a part of some of the really bad stuff. But, you know, his name is the one that's attributed to it. Look, we sent we sent our kid off to she's she's got a master's and we sent her off to college and she was a sweet kid when she left. And when she came back, she was just racism everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, LBGT plus Q LMNOP hashtag when she came back and it was everything was an argument she hated everybody Mm -hmm. and you want to talk about indoctrination it really started in the colleges and i think it started 10 years ago probably even before that but i know from my personal experience it was 10 years ago and it i don't know it it they they got her and they turned her in from a sweet kid to basically a freedom fighter for weird causes. In my recollection and in the way I see it, it started probably sometime in the 70s mm-hmm. um, to hit the elementary schools, the middle schools, the high schools. Um, definitely it was in the colleges at the time. I mean, Saul Alinsky was a professor. What happened was a lot of these Gen Xers, which I'm a part of, yeah, probably the 70s and the 80s, where abundance really became a thing. Uh, the 80s, everybody was making money. Yeah. You know, it was a great time. People were living living large. Do coke, drive a Ferrari. Exactly. <laughs> and a lot of people did. Um, but what happened was these kids of the time were getting spoiled. They were starting at that point. You know, that's when 
kids were like, I will call, you know, social services on you if, if you yell at me too much. Right. You know, that's when that stuff started. And so when those, when that generation started having kids, they did the whole, I'd rather be my kid's friend than to be a parent. And, you know, it, it that's the generation that really started screwing things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Gen X was taught wrong um, and it started in the schools and it started with, you know, a lot of these therapies, you know, you have to be in therapy for life yeah, and you have to go every week and you got to tell me everything that's going on. Um, don't worry. I won't tell anybody. Well, that's where the helicopter parent and really these, these kids wrapped in, and cotton wool yeah, started. Absolutely. Know, don't go outside. Don't get dirty. Yeah. Don't, don't go out and play for six hours and then come back when it's dark. I got to know where you are at all times. And now those kids are grown up. And those kids are the ones. The rule followers. Yeah. They're, they're well, in the wrong rules. Um, you know, and they're going to college now and they're easily indoctrinated because yeah. they're, they've been prepared to be indoctrinated. Um, I, I saw it. I was talking talking to uh, Scott off uh, off mic, and a friend of mine whose daughter is in college. Her daughter is essentially indoctrinating the the mother, who is now wanting to leave the church that she's been involved in for the last twenty five years because of the white Christians. Oh, those racists! Yeah, <laughs> awesome that's, what, that's, that's how she called them, white Christians. I said, the what? She goes, well, there's a lot of white supremacy in the church. Well, it's... It's hear, everywhere. It's, it's, it's called gang stalking. Everywhere hear, you look. Let's hear more about the uh, subversion. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations... Soft of heads. <laughs> ...without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already uh, for the last 25 years. Actually, it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it. So the people that are demoralized are no longer able to differentiate between fact and fiction, essentially, is what he's saying. So you've got all these people that are on the left, all this new generation, new woke shit that have grown up with it, believing it. That's what they know. And now when they see real facts, real issues, things like that, they are in complete denial and they refuse to accept anything other than what they know. Until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When the military <laughs> boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. The next stage is destabilization. 
This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This Mandates. time, and it takes only yeah. from two to five years to destabilize a nation. Uh, That's what we're in what, now. What matters yep. is essentials. Economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Huh. Mm. Uh, and you can see it I would quite say clearly we're at the end of the destabilization areas, era. Uh, yep. In such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense and economy, uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to... Pandemic? Maybe? Crisis? You can't waste a crisis. Yeah, don't let a good crisis go to waste. To bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. This is the new normal? Yep. Heard that one before? Yep. Over and over. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis, to promise people all kind of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy. UBI, universal basic income. Right, free college. Yep. Free everything. The government will provide. To eliminate the principle of free market competition and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with the benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale. Joe Biden. Who will promise lots of things. Never mind whether There's the promises are fulfilled Comparisons between Mondale and Biden. Your leftists in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are, non, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies. Well, Alec Baldwin shot somebody this week, but anyway. <laughs> of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist. He was executed by, by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. <laughs> Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karman with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Mujibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The, the time bomb is ticking with every second. So, yeah. So, <laughs> leftists are an instrumental tool to destabilize a nation. I mean, that's, that's their entire purpose. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's, it, well, think about it. We the need last change. Several, we need the, change. The last 20, 30 years, at least, every democratic uh, 
presidential candidate has talked about change. They don't say what we're changing to or what needs to be changed. Just change. Obama ran on hope, hope and, and change. change. Never talked about what he was changing or what he was changing to. Just change. Change for the sake of change. Changing to a surveillance state. Yeah. Right. And most of their followers nowadays don't even realize what they're trying to change. They just want to change something. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. Just something to change, whether it be uh, social injustices or genders or these new um, all these new norms or trying to make all these new norms. It doesn't matter. It's just trying to essentially shake the basket. A lack of unity. Right. So we can't come together because if we come together, then we're stronger than the government. But if we're against each other, like you were talking with this app, yeah. if it if it gets divide that, and conquer, yeah. If they if they get into their heads that that I have to report on everybody, including my family, sound familiar? That's what I started this with. If you're reporting on everybody and you're beholden to the government and that's who your loyalties are to, mm-hmm. then the government can do whatever they want to. And they will do whatever they want to. Yeah. It's Mao's Red Army again. You know, and uh, I used to say this about Antifa last year. How much do you hear about Antifa now? Nope. Nope. Well, I always said they're, they, they are essentially Mao's Red Army. And Antifa didn't realize what happened to Mao's Red Army. You know, there were civilians that Mao had riled up such that they would go out and destroy things and bring about the communist change. Well, once that was over, Mao decided they had too much power and executed them all. Yep. Sweet. Well, like that gentleman said, is is they thought that they were going to be the powerful ones, the ones with the loudest voices, and they were not. No. No, and what's going to happen is once the nation destabilizes, you're going to see the real people that have been underneath the blanket Mm-hmm. come into power and you're going to see all these people that were pushing the change and trying to make the change slip away. Well, it's starting to happen now. Like right. Whoopi said something and then, mm-hmm. and then Bill Maher's coming out with yeah. how crazy some of this stuff is. Yeah, he said the left is embarrassing him. Yeah. It's already starting to happen. Right. And, I, and I would say that instead of necessarily like executions and things like that, that they were talking about. Um, I think more nowadays it's uh, being canceled. Character it, assassination. It, yeah, character yeah, character assassination. Character assassination. Yeah. Social yeah. execution. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I think so, I just coined. I think I just coined a new phrase: social execution. Social execution. Sounds like oh, a good title. I like it. Sounds like a good title. Social yeah, execution. It does. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna trademark that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's what's funny? Get the funny? website. Get the T-R- yeah. TLD. Well, you know it's funny. Um, I was just looking up. A friend of mine has sent me a YouTube clip um, from October 2019 where Fauci and two other, I can't think of the names now, that's why I was looking it up, uh, they were talking about ways to get vaccines and stuff out to the masses faster mm-hmm. um, by creating a, an emergency and the uh, Emergency Use Authorization Act, all that type of stuff, like two months before the pandemic hit. Oh, if you don't think that this was and I just playbook. went to I well, I just went to look up that clip that it's I was gone? just sent the other day. It's no longer available. Oh, crazy how that works. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but I, I mean, I can see it on my phone in my messages. You know the picture, but if I click on it, YouTube says video unavailable. 
Mm. No longer available. In 2013, when I started doing d- oh, disaster, it says disaster because the account has been terminated. Wow. In 2013, when I started doing disaster planning and started right. working with the DHS on this stuff and mm-hmm. FBI, uh, they handed us playbooks on pandemics, on mm-hmm. EMP, on all these things. They already had playbooks on this. Yeah. They knew what to do. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I used to get those a lot when uh, I was working at a telecom. You know, and we worked a lot with Secret Service and uh, DHS and the FBI, you know, because, you know, they would come to us because there was a call made to Pakistan or, you know, certain numbers had been called and, you know, they ran through our exchange. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I worked a lot with disaster recovery at the time and it was still disaster recovery was kind of in its infancy. Yeah. Back then. So, you know, they were working with us a lot to you know, bring about change in the way we look at things because there's a lot of other reasons for disasters, you know, that we may need to look at, such as a terrorist act, pandemics, uh, everything from that to a tsunami. I mean, they had plans put out for everything. Well, this video was actually Fauci and two other guys. I will find out who they are. They were talking about how can we get vaccines out to people faster? Mm-hmm. How can we get people to take vaccines without them understanding what's going on? Is essentially what they were talking about. Because we're all going to die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they said, well, you know, if a pandemic comes about, we can do this with the emergency use authorization. And we can finally push mRNA. Yes, and that's it what has, they. T- and that's that has what they, never been approved to this point, and because it's still, never worked, and still not approved. By the way, every time they've tried to test it on animals, they've killed all the animals. Well, it's because it's not a vaccine; it's genetic therapy. Yes. Well, it's a vaccine now because the CDC changed, changed the, definition. the definition of vaccine about a month ago. Yeah. All right. So yeah, yeah, I went off on a tangent. And today we have a special guest from the U.S. Army. Uh, let's just call him Daryl Jagger. Daryl, how you doing today, buddy? Doing fantastic. How about yourself? Oh, great. Thanks for coming in and talking with us today. Uh, just so we can kind of frame the conversation, why don't you tell everybody out there a little bit about yourself? All right. Well, things started out nice and slow down in the South, and uh, Eagle Scout, do it all that, uh, did some ROT. Hold on, South. You're, you're racist, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Ah. Yeah, yeah. I hate I hate everybody, but equally, so it's okay. That's uh. <laughs> equity, right? So uh, did uh, did the Boy Scouts back when they were you know the Boy Scouts? Um, oh, not not the them Scouts, the, right? The they them it Scouts, yeah, right. Um, so back when getting eagle was actually like an actual achievement. Um, so I got that. Uh, then uh, did ROTC for a bit uh, in high school and also college um, for a couple of years. Found that college really wasn't for me. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. And then... Uh, well, why were those reasons? Well, one was just because I was a you know young idiot that liked to party and drink a lot, but also because there is a lot of... Uh, there's a different atmosphere there, for sure. What do you mean? Different, different atmosphere being um, seeing a lot of people of my generation... Um, kind of following this uh, path of wokeness 
Um, and I started seeing all these different things that I would normally just see on like the news or on TV, uh, social media of like protests, uh, for, uh, you know, uh, equality and, uh, just certain social issues. A bunch of people who have never worked in their lives or right, right. pay their own bills. And, well, so and I, I got to kind of see that firsthand and kind of get a, uh, and realize that a lot of these people that were at these protests and stuff were actually in my class or in my classes. And I would see them on a day-to-day basis. And I started kind of realizing who they were as people. And there was definitely a difference in, in ethic, uh, work ethic, and just, uh, just personal qualities of character mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and there was just not a lot of people that I could get along with in that environment just because I couldn't really relate to them um, or get behind what they were preaching and talking about. And they also all viewed me as, uh, you know, somebody that was ignorant and intolerant and just this terrible person, even though, I mean, I was friendly to everybody pretty much. Well, let, so, me, do a, let me do a temperature check on this. So these people that you're talking about, did you ever see them volunteer for anything that wasn't a social thing so did they did they volunteer at the soup kitchen or or go help people uh that were in need or they just show up at protests so um a little bit of both you had the ones that would uh, like the protest organizers generally were more involved in uh small community things um but the ones that would attend protests and things like that or or just events um were usually just nasty people and just wanted to scream so they were bringing awareness, which means they didn't do shit except talk. Correct. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So I'm guessing, you know, being an Eagle Scout um, took some uh, self-motivation, some self-discipline to, to do some of that stuff. And it'd be kind of hard to translate that into victimhood. Right. That's, uh, yeah, there was a lot of um, self-accountability. Mm-hmm. that went into uh, achieving that and um, also just, you know, support from from family and things like that, which I'm sure a lot of these, uh, you know, woke individuals probably didn't have um, as a part of it, at least. But um, it was just it was something that I wanted to strive for and push myself for. And as a result, I'm able to proudly say that I achieved that right. and it wasn't given to me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't it wasn't something that was just handed to me. It was something I had to earn. So there was no participation eagle scout you can, you can be a no not at the time eagle scout least. participation trophy no <laughs> i mean they, they they started doing that while i was in the scouts they You're started kidding. doing they started doing handouts and stuff and just merit badges things like that to kind of push kids along to make them feel like they were keeping up with others um but generally speaking uh everything at least in the troop that i was in mm-hmm. um it was very much so uh self-worth like self-earned you know you you were worth what you push yourself or push put yourself forward to so which is how it should be mm-hmm. you know um i shouldn't be uh somebody that did half the effort and half the investment of themselves into something shouldn't be held on the same level as somebody that you know went and put their all in and did all the work and you know it's like the same thing with like group projects in school you had the one kid that wouldn't you know do shit for the mm-hmm. project but they had their name on it and they'd get the same grade yeah kind of thing. it's equity yep so um but moving forward from that um i ended up joining or enlisting in the army uh after college and uh 
been in for a good few years now. There's also been a lot of uh, eye-opening stuff being in the military for sure. Right. Um, you get because uh, you get people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, mm-hmm. all different ethnicities, creeds, everything. Um, it's a it's a massive melting pot on top of what America already is. Right. Part of what makes the country so great. You get, well, well, we were talking beforehand, right? Mm-hmm. And and you were saying that. The military is the least racist organization. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So um, those of you that have been watching the news as of late, you've been seeing uh, things like uh, Secretary of Defense uh, Lloyd and General Milley uh, pushing for all these things about racism in the military and white rage. Um, and uh, a lot of us got caught off guard by that because we were really confused about what the hell they were talking about because we didn't see any of that. But the military that we knew and that we were a part of, there's none of that goes around. Um, and like the, the shit that people try and look for and poke around in, in normal civilian society doesn't exist in the, in the, in the military. Right. I don't think it exists in regular society. I don't, well, I don't right. And so well, I, and I, I've said in, uh, in other episodes, you know, when I was in the army, we always said the only color we see is green. Right. Um, you don't care what the race, ethnicity, ethnicity, creed, whatever is of the person in the foxhole with you. Yeah, the only hate is is for the Air Force. Well, the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the uh, no, I mean, I mean, it's it's all it's all fun and love. But the uh, that, that's the thing though is that like, you know, a lot of people I guess um, will see how service members joke with each other and have this banter because we have this understanding that it is just banter and humor and jokes, right. and we understand that. Beneath all that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. You know, I'm going to take a bullet for you because I know you're going to do the same for me. It's just shit talking. It's just guys shit talking. Right. And and it's fun and it's funny and nobody gets offended. Yeah. And it's back back and forth. Right. 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 And because at the end of the day, we're all brothers and sisters. Yes. Like, and yeah, after, after Millie and all them came out and said those things, um, they started pushing... Well, so to start things off, um, I guess uh, equal opportunity or the EO program that's mm-hmm. in the military. Um, that's been a thing for a while since before I joined. Um, and it's this program essentially set up to ensure that um, everybody's treated fairly with the opportunities given to them in the military. Um, and it started off as uh, initially... Um, it was, it was a positive thing. Um, I think it was more oriented towards females, uh, in the, in the services because there was an issue with, um, females not getting, uh, given the same opportunities as men in the army. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then it kind of got twisted and influenced by the woke culture and started getting broadened towards, uh, race, ethnicity, and now genders as now, a big thing. Now, if I remember this correctly, uh, the way that it was kind kind of presented early on is that they lowered standards for females in PT. Well, so there was always a difference in PT standard right. um, for men and women. Um, and But the problem was is that women wanted to um, enter into uh, specific jobs 
combat uh, roles. Co- combat roles, exactly. That um, the army really wasn't set up to support because obviously when you're in a combat job, you are to meet the highest standard physically mm-hmm. to be able to perform in that job. Because when you're downrange and you're in the field, and let's say one of your buddies gets shot, right? You're talking about a guy that could be, you know, six feet tall and he's already 180, 200 pounds and he's wearing another 80 pounds of gear. Well, I couldn't carry you. You're about that. Right. I couldn't carry you. So, so. And, you and, and you got all of a sudden, you know, he gets shot and he's out in the open, he's out in the street. You got to be able to grab him and get him to safety, right? And you want to be able to save him. And if you're a female that's maybe, you know, a buck 30, right, and 5'5 five, five or something, and you're wearing all that gear on already, you physically, there are physical limitations that are biologically set up to where they, it's no matter what you do, no matter how you try and change it, you cannot perform those tasks. See, I'm offended. He just described me as a female because I'm about <laughs> buck 30 and 5'5", five, five, so. <laughs> yeah, but you're definitely I, not female. I know, I know I couldn't carry you. I mean, there's there's no way. But there's, there's no way I could carry you, and, and I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be in that position. As a male, I shouldn't be in that position. Right, and so right. if you tried to get into said position you would have to take the physical PT or the PT test and the meet the physical requirements. And if you proved that you could not meet those, they wouldn't let you in. So the problem happened when females did that and they didn't get let in, they didn't get their way and they got upset. And so they, a big, there was this big push for changing the standard to allow it to be easier for females to get into set combat roles. So let me ask you this. You hate women, right? No, not at all. Oh. I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a straight man. Well, everything that you, you described, I mean, it sounds it sounds media. like I'm a misogynistic you're privileged a misogynist white male. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, your toxic your toxic masculinity is showing. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so, sorry. I'll tuck it away somewhere. So, you know, we got to we got to suspend reality and truth yeah. for a minute and just say, well, you're you're just a misogynist and and that's of course. It. because you said that. Never mind the truth that this person can't do the job. Yes. Right. And, and if a man tried to go and get that job, he would um, be declined also if he couldn't pass the physical uh, examination of that. Right. So the whole the whole narrative of how it's not fair between men and women is false because mm-hmm. it's the a man that can't achieve those physical requirements is going to be treated the same whether they're a man or a woman, they've just, it's, it's the fact that they cannot reach the physical requirement. Right. Well, didn't you just have that situation here recently with one of your coworkers? Right. So, um, with that, I mean, the, the military has standards for not just physical fitness, but also, um, health. So we have to meet a certain, you know, uh, uh weight and a certain per body fat percentage, essentially. Um, to meet the requirement. And so we had a guy that was a stellar technician. He was great at his job and he met those, uh, technical requirements. However, for the standard of performing physically, 
he didn't he barely didn't meet those standards and so they denied him they kicked him out so what's his role i mean is it does he have to go out there and lift bodies and and scale uh scale walls and and kick down doors is that what he was doing for his job no not at all um and i also to to put this clearly i disagree with how they handled the situation um he should not have been kicked out for that i think that they should have given him a little bit more of a exception to, to the to the standard which i guess is going against my argument however it's in a different sense so what people were arguing were arguing was the combat roles of women uh in my field it's more of a technical field it's not a combat role right and there, there were a lot of a lot of a big misconception that people get about the military is that it's all combat oriented and that mm-hmm. is false there's thousands of jobs you can have in the military that are not combat oriented and they're like any any you know, everyday job a civilian can do. You're just doing it under, you know, in, in a uniform, right? So this guy would be classified as basically a desk jockey. He's he's not going to leave that desk. His his even if he gets deployed somewhere, it's going to be inside of a building behind a desk. Yes, essentially. I mean, our 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 experience and, and expertise is is technical stuff. It's it's yeah. you know communications things like that. So he doesn't have to have that physical aptitude as he more so does have to have the mental aptitude for it so how egregious was his uh, being out of line realistically it was not an issue um because he as far as performing the job he was able to do so perfectly fine in his current you know health and fitness level um the problem is is that he just didn't check the box that the army was looking for to have the box checked um, which I will say the army is moving away from that. Um, the army is now switching to a different PT requirement or physical training requirement to where it is not based on age or gender anymore. It is based purely on what your job requirement is. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a positive change in my opinion. How far out of the box was he? Uh, he was one pound out of the box. What? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, unfortunately, you run into situations, as you would with any uh, career and job, where you have individuals that, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, are by the books and, you know, um, can't really make an exception uh, and or make an understanding to what's more important um, for a individual for either their career or for, in this case, for the unit. Um, so like I said, this guy was an expert at his job. He's probably one of the best guys we had in the unit. And because of this one flaw, and like I said, it was one pound. So think about that. You can probably, your body fluctuates probably about four to five pounds on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So instead of letting him come back in the next day or come back a couple hours later after he took a shit, right? <laughs> and then go, go get retaped or reweighed, they started his chapter work. And now we're losing... And the, the way that they're going to see it is they're losing a guy that couldn't meet the standard and they're getting, he's got out of shape and he's a piece of shit and he shouldn't be in the army anymore. What's actually happening is we're losing one of our best and smartest technicians who is still able to perform the job better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. But because of that bullshit standard, which I will say is going away now, um, at least in the near future, unfortunately not soon enough for his case. Um, but yeah, we're we're losing one of our best guys now, and now he has to go find work somewhere else. Oh right. uh, um, well, he'll make a lot of money out in the private sector. Oh, he'll I'm do sure. he'll do just fine. I'm uh, sure. Um, now I'm going to agree and disagree with you. Um, okay. 
in the army, every soldier, their very first, their first job is infantry. You're always expected to be able to perform in battle, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what your position, even, even the guys that sing in the army choir, you know, their first job is infantry. So there is a physical fitness standard that has to be maintained. Right. In this person's case, as long as they were making improvement, you know, from the time they, they failed the, whether it be the PT test or the weigh in or, or the tape. And when we say the tape, uh, the army measures your body fat based on certain measurements. Right. Um, if you are overweight, cause some people are overweight, but not out of shape. Right. You know, that, that, would be, great, that, that would be the case for me. I right. have to get taped every time I yeah, eat weight. Exactly. Uh, so what I'm getting to is, you know, once he has failed, whatever portion of that happens, generally you're given a certain amount of time to get in compliance. Mm-hmm. And as long as he's making an improvement and getting closer to that compliance, if he hasn't quite made it yet, then I agree. He should definitely be allowed to stay. A guy who's, you know, 5'7 and weighing in at, at 320, right? you know, should has no business being in the military. Right. You know, if you're a few pounds overweight, even say 20 pounds overweight, you should be given the chance, the opportunity, even though you're supposed to be doing it on your own, uh, you should be given the opportunity to make the correction to come within compliance. And as long as you're making progress, then I think, you know, uh, there should be waivers given. I know for a fact there are waivers and that possible that is a very likely possibility in many cases. Um, but just like in the private sector, there are a lot of people in positions of power that like to use that power uh, to either their benefit or to further their careers. That's what it sounds like was happening in this case. I, ca- I come from an army family and my my stepdad, we were oh, we were based, uh, well, undisclosed. But anyway, <laughs> you know, he was an overweight gentleman. He's was E7 overweight gentleman. And I never saw him at PT. Now, this was during the 80s, but it was, I never saw him at PT. Now, ever. Ever. He was never at PT because that's when they had the golden shorts and the white oh, yeah. shirts that you had to do formations in. I was there. Never. At the same time, even. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I probably sat out there. At, uh, laughing at me. You laughing at you going, as I stayed up all night from being uh, stoned. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You are a little younger than I am. Yeah, just a little. Not much, <laughs> old man. But uh, in re- I mean, the army does offer lots of you know um, exceptions to policy and profiles, especially for medical issues and reasons. Um, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but in uh, and in his case, like I thank you for making that distinction with the fact that um, you know if the individual is showing progress towards achieving that goal, then they right. should you know they, there should be an exception made, right. or he should be given a little bit more time because he is showing progress and improvement. And that was the case with this guy is that he was he he had dropped like ten pounds already to meet that goal, and they cut him off instead of affording him the opportunity to you know get to get that one extra pound kind of thing. Right. Um, and I think that's a little ridiculous. And also to go off of what you were saying with, uh, how there's individuals in the military where, um, they're career oriented and career centered, mm-hmm. and they're more concerned about pushing their own narrative or agenda. Um, that can be tied in with the fact of the current, uh, you know, woke culture, woke atmosphere, shit like that. Right. With the fact that you've got command teams that handle situations differently across the military. 
um, you've obviously got the, you know, the big shots out up in the Pentagon that are trying to push their own narratives as well with, you know, the white rage and the racism, all this stuff. And then also with the, uh, the current COVID environment, COVID vaccinations, things mm-hmm. like that, uh, with the mandate that came out, um, you've got all kinds of accounts from around the military of command teams essentially making it almost impossible for uh, soldiers to remain unvaccinated. And the thing that a lot of people are pushing for that I'm sure people have been hearing about is the religious exemption, mm-hmm. which has always been a thing in the military. Yes. You can get religious exemption for a lot of different things, whether it be um, picking up a rifle mm-hmm. um, or getting various immunizations or traveling to certain places. Um, it's always been something that's been accepted and acknowledged in the military. However, in recent light of the COVID uh, or the uh, coronavirus and everything, um, they changed. They kind of changed how it was handled. So you had a bunch of people that realized that this was a right that was afforded to them mm-hmm. for this religious exemption. So you had a bunch of people push for it in the military because they obviously they didn't want to get the fucking vaccine, um, and they realized that that was a right that they had, whether they right. put a mandate out or not. So they, you got a bunch of people pushing for this religious exemption, and the army, obviously the big wigs in the army, realized this that it's. You know, yeah, it's religious exemption, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that really aren't. Normally, you would have to provide, you know, proof as to why this is violating your religion, things like that. Um, And it would go to, uh, you know, uh, battalion or brigade level command teams and they would handle it and then get it taken care of. Now you have a change or a shift because of how important it is to this agenda that these soldiers get this vaccine you've now have it to where it has to go all the way up to the highest level of authority, which you've got the, the, uh, the surgeon general of the army essentially, mm-hmm. um, has to approve or disapprove these requests. And what's going to end up happening is that I would say that most, if not all of those requests are going to get denied. And I'm not sure what's going to happen with that, but you're going to see, um, a lot of soldiers essentially have their rights infringed because it goes against the agenda. Um, And you've also got the issue where people that aren't pushing for that are getting treated differently in the service by their command team, whether it be, you know, battalion, brigade or company level. Mm -hmm. And they're essentially those command teams are enacting um, punishment that's in their power to do to try and encourage these soldiers or punish these soldiers to or press them to get the vaccine. Um, so you've got leave that's being t- being denied. You've got um, mas- the mask mandates and everything. You've got travel restrictions. You've got family members now that are not able to leave base. And the army is not supposed to have any control over your family at all. F- family members aren't allowed to leave base? Yes. Well, this is where we get I into that. that. <laughs> this is where we get into that punitive punishment that we've right. been talking well, about. We start taking away stuff from you. If it's not, if it's not money, then it'll be freedoms. It'll be freedoms and privileges. So things like leave, things like um, uh, four day weekends, um, they'll still start giving these soldiers and stuff extra duty um, and extra tasks to occupy their free time. You know, so they're not able to go have a beer on the weekend kind of thing. They got to be stuck, you know, cleaning up the motor pool, things like that. So it's a bunch of these asinine tasks that 
are essentially handicapping soldiers and forcing them to be like, well, shit, all right, I got to get this vaccine now because my life is miserable. It's well, behavior you know, modification. To, right. To put this into a little bit of context, I know a lot of people think, well, it's the military, you know, we, you can't really do a, a religious exemption in the military and stuff. Well, when uh, back in the early 90s, when we went into Yugoslavia or the former Yugoslavia, we went in as part of NATO. I know of a guy who got a religious exemption to going into battle because he suddenly became a non-combatant because he didn't want to go. I admitted that he joined the army to, you know, do four years, get the GI Bill, go to college. He wasn't interested in actually being a soldier. And he got a religious exemption and they let him serve out his the rest of his uh, term or the rest of his uh, enlistment in Germany and he did not have to go to combat. He got a religious exemption. A soldier got a religious exemption from going into combat. Yeah, you don't know when you sign up that you might have to kill people. Yeah, there, <laughs> that, you know, that's kind of a kind of a thing. Um, so if a religious exemption can stop you from having to actually do your job that you signed up, swore an oath to do, then... Uh, you know, why wouldn't it be the case that it works with this, which right. is much less of a requirement than going into combat? Right. And it's just it's kind of crazy to think that they're more than willing. And if not, it, it seems almost happy to end people's careers um, in the service over this vaccine. Um, and, and it's really it's a little ridiculous, in my opinion, because you've got people that are uh more than willing to still do their job, go out on the battlefield. The last thing they're worried about is catching coronavirus. Right. You know, they're worried about getting shot and defending the country. Yeah. Lead poisoning is a little more uh, Right. That's a little, a little more problematic in the long run uh, than, than the coronavirus. Um, and the other thing you got to take into account, too, is that, like, the military, arguably speaking, is some of the healthiest batch of individuals in in the country yeah for yeah. sure um whether yeah they, look at the guy across from me he's fat and overweight <laughs> yeah. and but when i was in the army <laughs> right we don't we don't care what happens when you get out when you after yeah. you get out i mean you can go to do go do what you want but the uh old cheeto attic over there. <laughs> <laughs> but while you're in you know these are these are top-notch healthy guys yes and they we already rarely have issues with illness or disease mm -hmm. in the military um and the way the way the military run, runs things, you know, it's generally speaking, especially if we're in a time of war, um, it's very oriented towards the health of the soldiers. And um, and we want to make sure that our guys can perform the tasks that are required of them to go out and lay their lives on the line to mm -hmm. protect the country. Well, um, here's where you're wrong. See, you're using logic, and that doesn't work. Oh, no. Right, that doesn't fly. So what we need to do is we need to, by the taxpayers, pay Pfizer a lot of money to get shots for people who don't need them. Right. That's what we really need to do because the healthy people uh, that have a 99.9% .9 recovery rate, and I actually... Not 100% healthy, but I'm pretty, I'm up there. Yeah. I'm up there. This entire time did not uh, go with the recommendations. Only wore a mask when I had to. Was in contact with two separate people who actively had COVID. Never got it. Didn't die. <laughs> because I don't have any comorbidities. But yet, 
And maybe even I might be naturally immune to it. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Points. I hadn't got it. I don't, right. I don't know, but but that's irrelevant. Well, and now let's put this into a little bit of perspective. You're relatively young and in good shape, rel- pretty healthy, and you actually had COVID. Yes. How bad was it? Uh, it was a joke. I mean, I, <laughs> if we're going to be completely honest, I mean, it was more of an inconvenience. Um, I was sick for all of a day. Uh, with mm-hmm. like a with a fever and it essentially was like a uh, like a 24 hour bug kind of thing right. um and then i lost my taste and smell for uh, about like a week and a half um and that was it that was okay. literally it um the only thing that inhibited me from doing my job was them quarantining me now don't get me wrong i'm not saying that that COVID is a joke for everybody no and it's not you know that it's that it's easy for everybody but if you're young and in shape it's this not, is pretty much well, this is pretty much the way it goes. Pretty even much, if, even if you're nothing. old and healthy, yeah, it's fine. And and almost everyone that I've talked to uh, that has had the the virus um, had a very similar experience mm-hmm. with it, um, and they have no long term repercussions, and they have no issues. They were able to go back to work and do their job exactly as normal. They could have done so within a couple of days, like if they had the flu mm-hmm. kind of deal or even pneumonia, like pneumonia knocks you yeah. out of action more than this virus does. Right. Um, and but because of the, you know, the mandates and the standards and all of this, you have to quarantine for two weeks. You're taking personnel off of the job for two weeks at a time and it becomes a real issue. Like I know for during uh during the you know when all the lockdowns were a thing and um everyone was still in freak out mode um it was becoming incredibly difficult for uh us to do our job um because our our whole job is technical you know we work with communications equipment that mm-hmm. communications equipment has to be monitored 24 7 right. if you all of a sudden have half the people to do that the other half that are still good to work now have to work twice as hard and twice as often to maintain that equipment. And so it became very difficult and demanding for a lot of us the, to be able to actually meet the needs that the Army had. And it wasn't because of our health or inability to do so. It was because of the restrictions they put on us. Right. So they were essentially shooting themselves in the foot with it. And we know also being technical people that the longer you're up and the longer that you work, the more mistakes you're going to make. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. Or you're going to miss something. Right. Especially if you're in a monitoring mode. Yes. Where you have to monitor stuff. You're going to miss stuff that's important. Right. And, and and when it comes to with the military and certain jobs, if you miss something, that's a matter of national security. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... it's a, it literally can be life and yeah, death. Yeah. For the nation. Yeah. You know, it's it's not just a small, you know, oh, shoot, you know, I'll get it next time kind of thing. It's like, hey, this is a big deal. Um, and we'll, also we could get into the fact that um, all of the lockdowns and the mandates and things has done a massive number on morale and unit cohesion. Oh, sure. Let her rip, tater chip. Yeah. Um, so with the lockdowns and everything um obviously that did a number on the american people as a whole um with the military it's a big part of the military's effectiveness is how well we get along with each other and how well we function as a team the whole thing is team-based and if you start 
inhibiting that all of a sudden you know there, there's no there's no army without unit cohesion there's there's just it would fall apart nobody oh, wants absolutely. to listen to each other no one wants to work with each other um and so these you've got all of these these social attributes that are required essentially for a, a unit and a team to function properly so we already at my job we worked in shifts so we were already separated as a unit so it was kind of hard to have the unit know each other and work as a, as a team uh, with that separation already. However, we would, you know, have team building events and, and on our off days, you know, we would get together and have all this and get have gatherings and social gatherings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all that suddenly became not allowed. You know, you can't do that anymore. You can't wow. talk to each other. You can't meet with each other. You can't have any of this interaction, no matter in, in any aspect, whether it's physical training, you know, going to the gym together, going for a run together, you can't do any of it. And that does a number on uh, soldiers' abilities to just be human, not to mention that, but also just the, um, like, family life got impacted. Um, you had soldiers that weren't allowed to go home and see their families for literally months um, wow. or go on vacation or anything. Um, and so, you know, it's... You know, yes, people say, you know, okay, you've got, you know, social media and you've got all these alternatives to do it, but it's not the same. That's not no, the same. Not at all. You can't, you can argue that all day long, but it's, it's, you can't say that it's the same um, as meeting somebody face to face and being in the presence of other people. On top of that, you had them pushing all the shit from 2020 with the racism, the woke culture, the terrorists. Right. That was another big thing is uh, after January 6th, um, there was with the fact that, you know, the one person that was killed on that day was a service member, or mm-hmm. a former service member mm-hmm. in the Air Force. Um, they they saw that and started looking at all of us, right? They started looking at all of us and thinking, okay, how many white privileged or, you know, radical, as they would call it, mm-hmm. individuals are actually in the uniform kind of thing. And they started to kind of... Uh, pinning everybody under this you know false narrative that all of a sudden we're all enemies of our own country because we disagree right so because you know if you were um they started giving us briefings like hey look out for this look out for that if you see a co-worker all of a sudden you know start talking about Trump, the Trump administration in a positive light, or if you start, you see people start talking about, um, you know, disagreeing with uh, progressive narratives, things like that, report that to your command team. Oh, I get Wow. <laughs> you know. So that what they're doing is is eroding the military at its very basic level. Yes. Yeah. Uh, between morale and then, you know, the, the psychology of what they're doing with, with what you're talking about now, it, that's just going to mess with your head really bad. No matter what your opinions are on any political topic or any social topic or whatever, you know, it's going to it's going to erode the basic function of the military and thereby really lower our ability to defend ourselves as a nation. Yeah. Not having a cohesive unit when it's needed. Yes. Right. So so, so all- this is all fun and games until you're actually needed. And then when you're needed and somebody's like, I'm not going to do that because I don't believe like you do. Uh, that's not good. Right. You all of a sudden lose that trust that you got ahead of the guy next to you because before you weren't supposed to care about what they believed in or who they were. You only cared about the fact that they were there with you. They're your brother and sister. They're an American and that's it. Now you add in all these other factors of, okay, 
what race are they? Okay. What do they identify as? Okay. What politics do they believe in? You started all adding all of these divisive measures in that ruin that trust. And how do I navigate that not to ruin my own career? Right. And how do I stand in a foxhole with somebody who may be, I don't know, a minority or, uh, I don't know, multi-gendered? whatever multi-culty yeah multi-culty what what you know somebody different than me right how do i not think that in their mind i'm less worthy of living therefore they're going to kind of stand back in the foxhole yeah and i do want to go back to uh january 6 one person was killed yes and it wasn't a police officer no he had a stroke so yes. uh if you still believe and she was unarmed people, yeah, if you still believe that a bunch of people got killed on January 6th, you need to look it up. Dude, <laughs> if, you think, if you think any cops were killed on January 6th, you're wrong. Yeah, you're right. wrong. You're absolutely wrong. It was one person. It was a person that was in the crowd or in the riot, we'll call it. Um, and it was, she was a former service member in the Air Force. That's it. And yeah. she, was, she was shot by a security individual in the uh, Senate or the uh, on the Senate floor. Yeah. Well, a couple of the police officers that, police. that are yeah, a couple police. of the police officers that they are claiming died as a result of January 6th were suicides. Mm. How can that be related in any way? It's not I, like weeks later. Did they know the Clintons? Uh, oh, so maybe not suicides, but suicided. Yeah, yes, they, they got, got suicided. suicided. Yeah, they got <laughs> Epstein. Epstein. Yes. The, um, but yeah, you Epstein all, didn't kill himself. Well, Christmas lights and Epstein don't hang themselves. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you all of a sudden have all these factors that apply and make you second guess the thoughts or opinions of whether or not you can actually trust the guy next to you. And these are all things that soldiers like myself down at the lowest level would never think about before. And now they've got us thinking about these things and they're forcing this on us. And, you know, somebody like me isn't really going to necessarily be bothered all that much by it with the fact that, you know, I'm going to continue doing what I've always done and respect the people around me and treat them like I would want to be treated. And just the, the normal way of doing things, right? you know, the, the things that have always been done. Um, but the problem is, is that all of a sudden you've got guys that are more sensitive to this kind of shit. Um, they're going to be, you know, oh, hey, you know, that, that guy over there, you know, that guy's, that guy's white and he's straight and he's, you know, pretty conservative from what we know. You know, I, I don't really, I don't trust the guy. I don't like him. Mm -hmm. I think, I think he hates me. I think he wants me to die kind of thing when that's obviously not the case. Right. But because of this narrative, that's what they think well, and, I, I, or what they're subject well, to. That's what they're yeah. being told. Right. I know I've known you since you were 10 years old. <laughs> yeah. That's how long I've known you. And I've, I've known your father for a while and that's unfortunate, but I've known him also. Um, and throughout the time that I've known you, you're not the normal cattle type child or you haven't been. You're a man now, but back then you weren't, you weren't part of the, the cattle culture, as I like to call it, um, the sheeple. Yeah, you didn't you didn't buy into it. Uh, you you were raised by a good man with uh, good morals that paid attention to you and just didn't hand you an iPad and go go on about your business. Uh, Daddy's got some selfish things to do. So I would say that even though you should be an asset to the government, because you think for yourself, 
because you don't go along with the narrative, because you question the things that are going on around you, you should be an asset. But they look at you as you as a as a as, threat as a threat or a deficiency. Right, liability definitely. Yeah, and and the thing is, and I think a big reason for that is that you know in the past before the military used to operate off of the same um, uh, moral. Uh, guidelines that society used to operate off of. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it would, even though you were in the military, you still, everyone generally still had the same understanding of, you know, what's right and wrong and what's good and evil and what's morally right, what's morally wrong. And now, now you're starting to see not only that disappear in society with the current and the upcoming generations and the current generations you're seeing that now filter its way into the military and become more of the norm more accepted and so you're getting this gray area where you've got a you know where it's essentially the the mashup of you know people that have grown up without those moral raisings and teachings and then the guys that do still have those and they're starting to butt heads and so you're causing even more division there. Um, and also in when you start having leaders come about that don't have these same moral guidelines that we used to operate off of, you start pinning the guys that had, had that had still have those moral obligations and moral guidance as the bad guys, as the guys that are wrong. They're the threat because they are not agreeing or not with this new progressive narrative or lack mm-hmm. of morals. And it's just, it's just going to destroy our ability as a country to defend ourselves in, in all actuality. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have uh, all these people that have these moral standards and all these moral guidelines um, and whatnot in this old, the, the, the older way of thinking, I guess you could call it, the more conservative way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to start seeing them not want to be a part of the military anymore. Right. They're going to want to get out. They don't, and I've, I'm seeing it already. Guys are just like, the military's not what it used to be. It's run mm-hmm. by all these people that are pushing this progressive narrative and trying to go with the woke co- or woke culture. And it's toxic, and it mm-hmm. does not, it's not what being serving under the flag is supposed to be anymore. You're serving the government, not the flag. Well, so, and that's, that's uh, happening in the private sector, too. A lot of walkouts right now because of the very same thing that you're talking about. Yep with these indoctrination of CRT and all these other programs mm-hmm. that they're trying to do governance of corporations, ESG. Yeah. Thank you. Environmental social governance, uh, governance yeah. where your stock price will probably get cut if you're not part of ESG. And so this is the thing in the corporate sector that's starting to happen. So, you know, companies like Verizon, bank of America, Wells Fargo, they're all doing CRT training for that uh, social portion of it. Well, and what you're talking about and what um, Daryl was talking about with the, the lack of morals, which brings about this stuff, that's exactly what Yuri Besimov was saying in that video we listened to uh, from his interview in 1984, where we're seeing it in society, and we have been for a few years now, uh, actually several years, the decline of moral standards. And don't get me wrong, I've always thought you can't really legislate morality. Mm-hmm. And that used to be the mantra the mantra of the left, but now they're trying to legislate 
immorality or a different version of morality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And what's happening is now we're seeing it in the military. Mm-hmm. And this, this, I don't know if it's immorality, lack of morality, different morality. However you want to look at it, we're seeing it uh, resulting in this cancel culture scenario, like the Netflix Dave Chappelle special. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, the, the trans people walking out at Netflix because of it. Um, and various other arenas, you know, we saw it with Apple in that letter, that the open letter that they sent to Tim Cook. And, you know, it's, it's happening all over the place now. The This cancel culture stuff, do you see any of that in the military? Like, at a inside the military level, like... Um, at the lower indi- level? Yeah, individual yeah. people being essentially canceled out, like shunned. Um, I really hope not. <laughs> So, not as much uh, as you would see it be enacted on, um, like, an officer mm-hmm. or somebody with a higher position. Um, they're a lot more governed by outside forces right. um, and, and politics than the lower level is. However, what you do see is um, with, you know, officers and higher level uh, members of the military pushing their narrative upon the lowers, um, you see people kind of getting exiled in that Mm -hmm. manner. Um, Not necessarily as individuals per se, but as a group still. Um, But like I was saying with before with like, you know, if you're a, you know, white conservative male Mm -hmm. in the military now, you're technically not, they're not directly saying that you're kind of falling under this extremist radical bracket, but Mm -hmm. they're, they're pushing out training that pretty much borderlines it to where, you know, we, a lot like myself and other people, other conservative individuals um, in the military uh, kind of feel like they're coming after us mm-hmm. or they're going to start coming after us soon. And that's why we're, a lot of us are second guessing our service because what ends up happening is we start questioning, are we actually the bad guys? And it's a really, it's a terrible thing that, uh, that, we're being forced to ask ourselves. So they're right. trying to make us ask ourselves is we signed a contract to defend this nation and defend the people of this nation. And you're starting to make us look like the bad guys and you're making a second guess whether or not we are. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. This is, this is as gaslighting as we heard from the video earlier. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this can't differentiate the truth from the false. Right. If you, if you look at it, you know, you, you see liberals, liberal comes from the root word Liberty but yet they're the pearl clutchers now. So they're asking you to do all this stuff that is really one against nature. If you really look at it, it's against nature. Mm-hmm. And two, asking you to accept some things that you know aren't true and they're pearl clutching when you don't obey. Right. And so the liberty has been taken out of liberals. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I remember when I was a kid, it was the conservatives. They were the uptight ones. They they were the the church lady. And now Mm -hmm. the liberals are the church lady. The Democrats, they're the church lady. And they're like, oh, my God, you're so offensive. But we we should uh, we shouldn't call men with dangles that wear a dress (laughs) men. And it's like, hold on, you're you're messing with my reality. Yes, we're into the multiverse now, so we're living in an alternate dimension. Sometimes, when dealing with these people, and we, with standard sensibilities that that look at the world for the way that it is and not the way that we want it to be, 
and we have to decipher what code base they're running on, which is nearly impossible. Like like you were saying earlier, you know, get getting uh, getting flack because you hold the door for somebody and you say sir instead of ma'am and they get offended over it and you're like i can't figure out what the hell you are it's ma'am right how am i supposed to know that you know i'm just trying to be kind and do a do a courtesy and now all of a sudden you're gonna get upset at me about it Mm -hmm. what the hell that this is completely backwards but that's becoming normal has any policy come down the line uh like crt or anything like that in in, at your level yet because i know that's more political and and when you get an e7 and above you start becoming more political right um i'd say well i mean with the training like i said with the eo program earlier um it's now incorporating uh you know things like trans people and stuff like that where it's like these are you know you got to watch out for the fact that you know you there are certain things that you can and can't say around them there's certain things that you know you have to understand that um you know you that this individual is uh, you know, a different gender and you, they identify as that gender. So you have to respect them as that gender kind of thing. And they're for just, they're, they're cramming this, all this stuff down our throats to go along with this woke narrative. And so now we have to kind of, you know, dance on our tippy toes around the whole situation about the people next to us. Or, you know, if we do know that there's a trans member in our unit or whatever, it's like, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, a lot of us are still younger guys, you right. know, or younger women as well. I mean, it's just we're we're the young, we're the youth. We just want to, you know, a lot of us just signed up to start a career mm-hmm. and do a job mm-hmm. and serve the country. And now we've got to think about all these other factors to make sure to not hurt somebody's feelings. And it's obnoxious, and it's getting in the way of us doing our job. Because let's say uh, that individual that is a transgender has a position of authority and you all of a sudden don't use the proper pronoun or you don't use, you know, use your proper courtesies involving their specific identity or whatever it may be. Um, That person gets offended. That person all of a sudden has authority over you. That person then enacts that authority upon you for those issues and reprimands you for because you hurt their feelings you know it, it's it's ridiculous sounds like corporate america now i can't imagine what basic training is like now because they're the drill sergeants when i was in basic their whole job was to offend us right i don't care how you feel well that's and now it's like how do you feel well that, that goes that goes back to the fact that you were saying earlier is that uh you know with the fact that at the end of the day we're all you know soldiers yeah and we're all supposed to defend the country we're not supposed to defend the country's feelings no, we're supposed to defend the country's people physically through combat, through, th- you know, and whatever. I, I shouldn't have to worry about hurting someone's feelings when there's bullets flying, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, yeah. like that's at the end of the day. Like, and the, the problem is, is that because you've got these people that are coming into power and coming into authority and pushing these narratives have never seen combat. They've never seen they've never been in that position of where the bullets start flying. They don't right. know these things. They don't know, you know that they don't have this basic understanding of you know what it means to fight for the guy to the left and right of you what it means to lay your life down for the country your feelings and anything offensive goes out the fucking window and you know it's 
I don't know. It, it's hard to, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it because it's, it's so backwards. From, well, well, they're politicians what, in uniform. Yes. What would really fix this is they embed social workers into every platoon so that they oh. can be in the foxhole with them to counsel them yes. as the bullets are flying. Yes. That way they could see how they really feel about getting shot at. Now, we asked you here for, for two reasons. First one, we did want to cover the woke, and I think we've pretty yeah, much beat that one I to death. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one that we wanted to kind of get your read on is the Afghanistan debacle. Uh, uh, I don't want to lead you into anything. I'm just displaying my opinion <laughs> that I think that that was a complete shit show. Uh, yeah, debacle um, is an understatement. I can't and imagine a single person in the military that doesn't think that. I will I will let you know my feelings on this. Okay. My feelings have been ever since George Bush landed on the aircraft carrier, we should have got the F out of there. And that should have been the end of that because obviously the Russians couldn't make it happen and we should have taken that case study from them and just... I mean, I know that wasn't Afghanistan, that was Iraq, but anything in the Middle East, it's been that way for ever, uh, forever, for hundreds and thousands, thousands of years. Yeah. It's been that way with all these uh, tribalistic uh, warlords and things like that. Um, and I'm just letting you know my feelings. This isn't this is my my opinion for everybody else, but uh, my opinion had should have been we should have been out of there a long time ago. And that I felt that it was more to prop up uh, senators getting paid on defense contracts than than it had to do with us fighting for democracy in that area or just controlling some resources. And controlling resources is important to the economy. I get it. But uh, I don't know if that does us any good or if that does corporations good. Now, you know, Trump had brokered a deal to get us out of there. And he said, if you mess with us, we'll come kill you. And obviously the seven, seven conditions that they had, they didn't meet. And Biden just decided, screw it, we're out of here and just left. And now I'll turn it over to you. All right. So um, I agree with where you're coming from with the fact that um, we should have been out there out of there a long time ago. Um, the, we should have been out of Afghanistan 10 years ago um easily um the problem is that uh what ended up happening is that we got so involved with um the culture there and the people um that we started running into more than just taking out the taliban and liberating those people from that evil it became more of uh essentially getting them to organize and become a modernize as a country and and essentially we became we became a government for them it's essentially um and and you started asking a lot of the military for what the military wasn't designed to do so we went in there to kill the bad guys and kind of help rebuild a little bit from what we helped to destroy you know in the process of taking out the bad guys um but then you had all these other things that go into running a country that the military is not designed to do. 
you know, we're not supposed to help them run elections. We're not supposed to help them set up a government. We're not supposed to help them organize their, their, you know, rights for their people and their religious exempt or their religious policies and things like that. And, or set up their economy and all these other things. The military's, that's not the military's function. We should, we should have pulled out after we quelled the Taliban and we should have, you know, essentially ensure that the Taliban wasn't going to make a comeback. And that's that. Um, and that didn't happen. And well, so, let me throw, let me throw this in there. So, so we stayed there 20 years right? and we spent billions of dollars on doing it and building all this infrastructure, uh, putting, trying to put in a democracy, right. which is what we don't even have. <clears throat> we have a representative Republic. We tried doing all this stuff, and it unraveled in 11 days and back to the way that it was before we even got there. So what impact do you think we even did there? Well, so the other thing you got to take into account, too, is that, like, there's— I can't speak for everybody with how they felt about us pulling out of Afghanistan or even being in Afghanistan. I know that most— Go ahead and try, because that's what we do around here. So (laughs) I know know most of the guys— that I've talked to on the matter and fellow service members agree with the fact that we should not have been there or like we, you know, obviously we went there for a specific reason. Uh, and that reason that, that essentially was accomplished. That task was accomplished, getting back at the Taliban, eliminating the Taliban and, and other terrorist organizations that got done. We should have been done with that. Um, and the problem is, is that you had a lot of guys that were boots on the ground over there. They got to see all the atrocities and the horrors and how these people were being treated and suffering. And you had a, a lot of guys essentially almost re-gear their thought process uh, as to why they were over there. Because for a little bit, uh, and especially towards the back end, there was a lot of people questioning why the hell we're going over there. Um, you know, why am I being sent to the Middle East? Why the hell are we still here? And then they get over there and then they realize how terrible or how, how awful it is for these people. And they start getting those attachments and you start getting, you know, we're here to help these people. And it became almost a more of a humanitarian effort versus a military effort. And which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it wasn't what we were initially there to do. Um, and that's why also us pulling out, there was so much emotion in, or emotion uh, involved in the issue because you had those guys that had been there and had seen what they had seen and made those connections and were there to do everything that they could to help those people. Um, because at the end of the day, like, you know, a soldier on the ground is, he's not some guy in a uniform that's trying to just kill people, right? Generally speaking, most, most people in the, in the service are already serving to better their country and better their community and had to help people that can't help themselves. And so you've got that mindset as being the primary mindset, especially towards the back end of Afghanistan. And all of a sudden you're going to up and abandon these people in the, in the middle of the fucking night. And that caused a lot of, uh, a lot of negative feedback, obviously, because then, now, not only are you essentially undoing everything that we had done over the last 20 years, but you're doing it in the worst way possible, in the most offensive way possible to essentially kick the guys while they're down. Because not only did they go over there and lose brothers and sisters mm-hmm. um, and, and try and do what they could for what they felt was right, 
but then you're going to go and just shit all over that. Um, and not to mention the Americans that were left behind with, with no resources. Right. And you had all these people left behind, all these Americans that we we're supposed to protect, and you leave them. What well, Jen, Jen Pisaki, uh said... Strawberry shortcake? Yeah. Said, uh, well, some of them might not want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> right. They yeah. might not want to leave. Oh, and she said, she said, but if anybody does, just call us here. Who has the number to the White House? You know, there's there's a group of people in Texas that are have organized life flights mm-hmm. out for Americans and yeah. are still doing it yeah. as we speak. There's a few. They're, they're getting out Americans and they're getting out uh, Afghan nationals that have helped us. Mm-hmm. Translators, families of translators. And they're doing uh, it on their own dime. People. Yeah. They're doing it yeah. on their own dime. Right, and, and that's that's what I was talking about with the people that had been over there and had, had formed those relationships with those people and that were generally just trying to help the people there. Mm-hmm. They want to go and get their people out. Yeah. Um, and the way it was originally set up about us pulling out of the... And like I said, we should have pulled out a long time ago um, before we even got embedded the way that we did um, because it would have you know saved us a whole lot of suffering and saved the Afghanis a lot of... well some suffering um i mean the problem the problem at the end of the day is that that world that and that side of the world is going to be so fucked for god knows how long um and has been for since the dawn of man essentially um and there's only so much you can do to change that you know we tried we really tried and we we made some good progress here and there and i think that that progress could have definitely held better um, if we didn't pull out the way that we did. Um, I think that um, we did make a lot of progress in Afghanistan at the end of the day. And the problem is that the way we pulled out in the manner that we did and also the way that we started to try and run things towards the end um, was so poor and just poorly orchestrated, poorly ran. I mean, you saw, obviously, the president that we had set up in Afghanistan just upped and fucking left with yeah. all their money. Yeah. Um, they weren't paying their soldiers. You know, so we had we, we helped organize and train and fund the military that actually wasn't even getting paid. You know, they, they had all the tools were there. They just weren't organized. Right. You know, they were all over the floor versus being put in the toolbox properly. And if they were put in the toolbox properly, there wouldn't be any issues or there wouldn't be nearly as many issues. See, I have, I have a slightly different uh, perspective than you do and vastly different than Scott. Um, but that's OK, because I just don't like Scott very often. But. <laughs> Um, see, I now I think we should have pulled back a lot sooner than what we did, but I think we should have maintained a presence there. 2,500, 3,500 troops, small base. It's a extremely important strategic location to have a base. I mean, we have nothing anywhere near there. Bagram Airfield. In, uh... <laughs> Um, yeah, like in Afghanistan, Bagram yeah. Airfield, the one that we abandoned. Yeah. The one that we just exactly. left and left when we could, exactly. have, we could have kept it as exactly. a, I mean, it's, just, it's just an operating base. It's essentially between Russia and China. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're, you know, what you're saying now, is do what we did in Germany and Japan. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And in doing so, we could have helped stabilize the region mm-hmm. or kept it somewhat stable. I mean, you know, the old joke was. We'll bomb Afghanistan back to the Stone Age, and that'll help them progress. Um, <laughs> you know, but because I remember 
Uh, I'm sure your dad does too. Back in the 80s, watching on, it was on ABC World News. The Taliban had just taken over and they were blowing up these Buddhist shrines and temples, 80 foot statues. I mean, just tearing up their own country. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what a lot of people don't realize is Al Qaeda did not come after us for any religious reason whatsoever. Had nothing to do with some jihad. It was because we went over there with CIA, few troops in the 80s and helped them fight off Russia. And as soon as that was over, we pulled out and left them alone. And they had nothing but warlords and tribes and there was nothing over there. And it essentially it pissed off the Mujahideen and they wanted payback because we destroyed their country in their eyes. Because we came over there, we said, uh, there's a movie, uh, Charlie Wilson's War, came out a few years ago, I remember watching it. Um, but I remember living it, I remember when it happened. I was in the military when all this was going on. And um, when we pulled out, uh, Bin Laden was like, well, them sons of bitches. You know, now we're, what are we supposed to do? We don't have money. We don't have infrastructure. You've helped us blow up our whole country. What are we supposed to do now? And that's what the impetus was to start Al-Qaeda, which then, you know, ended up doing all that it did to us, essentially for payback. Well, a lot of people and don't now realize that... we've just done the same thing. Yep. Well, people don't realize Bin Laden was a CIA asset. Yeah, at one time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we paid him tons of money in the 80s. Yeah. Um, even in the early 90s, I think. <clears throat> but people, people forget that. Yeah. And, and we we turned tail, just like we did on, at, at this juncture. We yes. turned tail and pulled out. I mean, it, it, it was a... It was a fucked up mess. And I do believe, you know, I'm like you, is, is if we had a tiered approach mm-hmm. where, mm-hmm. where we pulled out a little bit of a time and then left a presence there. Yes. Every, everything would have, I mean, it wouldn't have, I don't think it would have changed anything, but over time, maybe so. But just to cut them off like we did really supports, you know, what I said before is we wiped away everything that we did for 20 years because of the way we pulled out. Yes. Well, and then also Afghanistan sitting on one of the largest deposits of rare earth metals in the world. And lithium. So and lithium big, is one of them. This big electric car so thing that China. Trying to would, I mean, would, would corporations benefit? Yeah. But guess what? We would too. Yep. Because now China's moving in there to take it over. And China's going to mine all that. And all these electric cars and electric this and electric that, iPhones. all need iPhones, all need rare earth metals, especially lithium. Yep. And so now China's going to control the production of, of most of the batteries in the world. Well, not only that, but if you're looking at it from just a, a foreign relations standpoint, too, um, China is now going to have a presence in that region, which yes. they've never had before. Right. Um, China, you know, it was a very strategic move on China's part to then yeah. to jump in and back the Taliban, which a lot of people at first were like, you know, hey, why the fuck are they doing that? Don't they kind of hate Muslims, generally speaking, at least in their country? Mm-hmm. Um, and they do. 
But that doesn't mean that it wasn't a very strategic play for them because now they not only have access, they're going to have access and control over those resources, which is going to make them a bigger presence in the market more so than they already are. But they're also going to have a militaristic strategic position in the Middle East to then not only militarily back wars and conflicts between, you know, the Taliban or other, you know, regimes or whatever in that region. But also, you know, we've got just down the road, you've got Israel, you mm-hmm. know, um, and then you've got go up a little bit, you got Turkey, and then you've also got Russia. And, you know, you've got all of these countries that are, that were a lot more uh, entangled with and, and it's more pertinent towards our defense sector I guess you could say um, and now China is going to be even closer to that so not only do we have to worry about them in the Pacific we got to worry about them in the Middle East now too right and now they're now they're partnering with Russia mm-hmm. they're partnering up to as they put it keep the American factor out mm-hmm. and that's exactly um, what they want yeah Russia and China have every incentive to work together on keeping the U.S. out of that region and we gave and it to them. Our, yeah, we they're it doing them. it there. Uh, Russia and several former Soviet republics started, it's called the Collective, Se- Collective Security Treaty Organization. And they're doing military exercises right now uh, in Tajikistan on the Afghanistan border. Russia and China just concluded naval exercises in the Pacific, in the uh, South China Sea. There's a 1,700-mile nautical mile uh, trek that they did, this, these exercises, kind of showing, you know, don't come over here and mess with Taiwan. And to be quite honest, we couldn't, we could not afford to go to war over Taiwan. I think we would lose. Because China would immediately just throw a, hundred, a million troops at it. Because China wouldn't care. They have a million more to send. And those folks are just fodder for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their military is like twice or three times as big as ours. Mm-hmm. Ours is actually pretty small right now compared to what it has been in, in the past. Yeah. Uh, China, I'll look it up because I don't want to be 100% misquoted. Uh, <laughs> That's like every day. Yeah. You yeah, know. Huge. Hmm? I said it's huge. Yeah, I'm, I'm huge. thinking four million huge. is the number be that best ever. It's the yeah. greatest. It's huge. Well, and the the other thing is too is like uh, with what came out last week with the hypersonic missile test. Mm-hmm. Like we, our intelligence community is failing in so many regards. And <laughs> what's funny is is the media. Somebody on the media reported reported on it and said it's not really hypersonic. It was only going the actual speed of sound, not five times the speed of sound. Well, and this is a big change. What? People don't realize this. Everybody's kind of poo-pooing this. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have reaction times to s- s- these missiles coming over, we're sunk. Yeah. So, like, the Iron Dome that, that Israel has, that thing will be useless. Mm-hmm. Useless. We have absolutely no defense against those missiles. Mm-hmm. Those missiles are actually space-bound. Mm-hmm. They will go outside the atmosphere. Yeah, they go into lower travel, orbit. Yeah. Yep, which allows across. them to reach the speeds that they can. Yeah. Yeah. And then they come down, and there's absolutely no defense. Mm-hmm. Um, even even if we could reenact Reagan's Star Wars program, <laughs> that only protected us from uh, missiles coming over the Arctic, mm-hmm. you know, with, from Russia. You know, some come from China. We have absolutely no way to defend against that. Mm-hmm. No, none of, we have no technology that will defend against that right now. And uh, I'm seeing here that... 
China's military is 2.8 million. Yep, which is over double the size of ours easily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, you know, I will say that as far as their naval operations, um, we still have by far the strongest navy in the world, yeah. hands yeah. down. Um, and 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 I'm the the threat, the naval threat that uh, China and Russia possess, even combined, really isn't all that great compared to ours. It's still obviously a threat, but what realistically would happen is if we did engage. Um, it would get into this massive stalemate that would result into just a nuclear standoff yeah. like it did with Russia. Right. Um, no side has anything to gain by invading the other's home soil. No, no, uh, not at all. But China could easily win a war of attrition. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because I'm looking at the U.S. military is 1.3 million. So 2.8 versus 1.3. They could easily win a war of attrition just using their people as fodder. Well, plus in Afghanistan. We not to mention the Russian military. <laughs> on top of it mm -hmm. well plus to mention that that we left them tons of technology when we left yep. afghanistan stuff they didn't have before like night vision goggles uh, guidance systems mm -hmm. so what if they get in those f-35s and they figure out how to hack them to where they could make them unusable and drones mm -hmm. we left drones there they can reverse engineer those find out how to hack them find out uh, of ways to defeat them. Or reproduce them. Or reproduce there are, them. There are really, really smart people in China. Mm. I mean, they came up with a pandemic virus. Yeah. Well, I mean, they also reverse every, or engineer every single piece of technology yeah. that's yeah. been mainstream released in America, and Absolutely. then they now enter the market as their own as a cheaper cost. So, mm -hmm. like, you've got all these knockoff iPhones, Samsungs, mm -hmm. you know, um, TVs, you know, computer parts, things like that, that are already in our markets. You know, who says they can't do that with the military technology? I mean, you know, it'll be easy for them, Dude, honestly. Microchips built in the United States, manufactured in the United States. Well, plus they just took over ARM in a hostile takeover. And ARM is in every phone, yeah, every piece of electronic that is in anywhere. It's a risk-based processor, and it's in everything there's nothing that you have that's electronic that doesn't have some type of arm processor in it so they now own that technology well there's very few companies that are making risk-based processors so it's not like we could just spin up another one we've outsourced this stuff to the point to get the free labor and the slave labor basically indentured mm -hmm. servitude mm -hmm. to the point to where we no longer we create the technology but we don't produce it right well, if you ever watch the show Shark Tank, every time somebody has a product they want to create, the first thing that the investors ask is, well, where are you making it? Have you thought about doing it in China? Mm -hmm. I could get it done so cheaply there. They steal everything because everything is owned by the government. And yes. they steal everything and it becomes their property. Intellectual pro property means nothing to the Chinese. Right. Unless it's theirs. Unless they actually came up with it, which there's very few things they did. Other than TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> well, another thing, too, um, as far as China having its, uh, you know, essentially uh, expanding its region of influence uh, militaristically, um, we also got to look at, like, North Korea and the fact that South Korea, now that we pulled out of Afghanistan, South Korea is pretty much our only foreign country of operation near, the, near China, essentially. 
we already know how bad and how evil North Korea is. And we all know that back in the 50s or the 40s, when we when the war took place and the Korean War took place in the first place, they were backed by the Chinese. And they're, they're probably, they, they would easily get backed by the Chinese again. Um, and the problem is, is that you've now got that tiny region of influence that the U.S. has uh, as far as, well, as far as like land troops, I guess you could say the Navy's still in, the, in across the world, but, um, you know, where we've been pulling out of Germany, we've pulled out of Turkey completely, you know, we're in Israel a little bit. Um, now that we're out of Afghanistan, we don't really have that, you know, two faced control over China. Now we've only got the one side. And now, so China can now direct all of its focus towards that region. So now what you're probably going to start seeing is North Korea get a little bit beefier than it already is. And you're going to see, you know, that stability in that region start being threatened. And, you know, who knows where that's going to go. Well, of course, because they want to threaten Japan, which is right Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Which is a huge competitor for them in the tech market. Yeah. Well, didn't they launch a submarine-based missile last week? I hadn't heard that one. Um, North wouldn't Korea? surprise me. Yeah, I think they did. Mm, yeah, yeah, North Korea did yeah. off of a sub. Well, China. Did you know, um, Daryl and I were talking this about this off air. Did you know that China just returned uh, a rocket from the moon? Where they collected I had samples? no idea. It's their fourth lunar mission on this series of rockets. Hmm. It's the first one that landed. Um, the other ones were, you know, one was... Just to see how far, you know, just a test rocket. One was to do an orbit around the moon. Another went up and do uh, collect samples and bring them back. Their next one is going to be a manned one. And by 2024, I believe it's 2024, um, they are, yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah, they just finished phase three, which is returning lunar samples uh, completed by the Chang E5. And, uh, do, do phase four, which is their next one, is in situ resource utilization and construction, constructing an international lunar research station near the lunar south pole. Mm. Now, the U.S. is getting ready to launch their first one in a rocket that pretty sure I read is as tall or taller than the Empire State Building. <laughs> It's some massive, massive thing. Well, uh, let's see. Tuesday fired at least one ballistic missile into the sea, uh, what the South Korea's military describes as a weapon most likely designed for submarine-based launches. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I, they're I, getting into the game. I look for China to destabilize that whole area yeah. in the next two to three years, hmm. uh, especially with the fact that we're selling... Australia nuclear powered subs. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not nuclear armed subs. But nuclear so powered. they say. Which yeah. I still think nuclear powered. I think that that was a good move though. I really do mm-hmm. because we really need more allies in that region because well, the China, French were trying to sell them crap. Yeah. yeah they, had, <laughs> they had a they had a 90 billion dollar contract to what was supposed to be for nuclear subs or nuclear powered subs and France was trying to give them uh like you know outdated uh, diesel subs instead. Mm-hmm. And so they said no and French threw it or France threw a tantrum and now well, the French, French do that. Yeah, they did that a lot. I mean, I'm sure they'll calm down soon eventually, but uh 
Well, they, they picked they, all of our people out, right? Well, right. They, they got incredibly upset with us because we picked up the contract mm-hmm. to give them what they give the Australians what they actually wanted right. or wanted. And plus, it's it's a gain for us too because we already had, you know, the only the only other country that we shared our sub technology with was Britain, mm-hmm. and that's it. Now we're including Australia in that. Not only is that just a major move in itself, but also it gives us another ally in the region. Right. Because really we, we've drawn down our forces in the Philippines uh, substantially from what it used to be. Yes. And other than that, we really don't have... I'm looking at a map here. We have South Korea, the Philippines, and Australia. Well, Japan, Okinawa. Mm-hmm. But those are all small, small bases that won't... You know, doesn't don't afford us much as uh, defensive positions. Oh yeah, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. It's a very limited presence. Uh, we've I think we've definitely traveled down a few tangents. Yeah, yep. for our, for our tenth, it's a uh, it's a very long one. So. Yeah, it is, it is, but it is our tenth. So, uh, but I think uh, we ought to probably start wrapping this up. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank. Uh, Daryl for coming yes, in to yes, see us definitely. today. It's yeah. good to see you again. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, try to keep us safe because uh, we don't know what we're doing. So <laughs> while you're out there in the world doing uh, doing the things that you do, please keep us safe. Uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. So if you want to get in touch with me, it's scott at techtools.net. That's T-E-K-T-O-O-L-Z dot net. And Dean, where are you at? I am Dean at techtools.net, T-E-K-T-O-O-L-Z dot net. And if you want, go to our website, t- uh, techtools.net, T-E-K-T-O-O-L-Z. You ought to think uh, we are, might be able to spell it by now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, come out and visit our site. Become a producer. Uh, send us information. Let us know. You know, we, we work on the value-for-value value system, whether it's your time, your talent, or your treasure. Uh, if you find any value in what we do, send us a donation. And we are currently working on the infrastructure for recognition, too. So if you do donate, we will read your notes on air as long as they're not too offensive. Oh, yeah. And uh, we'll give you credit for that. So. Absolutely. Please donate. Uh, help us uh, help us become less poor. That would be great. <laughs> help us pay for the stuff that we've already paid for. And with that, thanks for joining us for the tenth episode. And see you on eleven. Stay safe. Brandon, but we all know what the saying means. Let's go.